So, you've made the decision. You're getting out. Leaving all the unpleasantness behind and starting over. Anything that has some sort of emotional resonance or monetary worth is in boxes, and in the back of a rented truck. Utilities have been transferred or shut off. The floors are swept, and the curtains are drawn. The dogs are ready, and the kids, if you have them, they've accepted the change. Or have even relished the change if some sort of unpleasantness existed in the house that you're leaving. This chapter of your life is coming to a close. A new one is on the horizon. And then, just as you think you've made it out, that you escaped whatever it was you were running from, you hear, I don't want to leave. There it is. Your wife, husband, partner, they've reversed their decision. This could simply be a product of cold feet, of reconsidering a financial situation, but what if there's something more? Some sort of influence forcing their minds, their hands. What if the very house you are running from has gotten inside of the person you love the most and has begun controlling them? A puppet. A roadblock to safety. To freedom. Do you force them out of the house? Do you beg and plead? And if they're steadfast... What do you do? Do you leave them behind? Do you run from the house knowing that you're leaving the life you knew in the rear view? Or do you stay, against any survival instincts, to be with your partner, even as the walls come down around you? And that's the question. Is love truly enough to sacrifice yourself? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in. And the haunt is on. Chapter 22 Before he slid his key into the lock, Denny could feel that something had changed. He'd only been gone for an hour or two max, but he could sense the shift in the energy, the atmosphere. Slender copper key pinched between thumb and forefinger, inches from the deadbolt, plastic motel diamond keychain swinging under his palm like a divining crystal. Then he stared at the fading paint on the carpet door and felt frozen. Behind him, the rain began sheeting down seeming to close off and escape back to the safety of his vehicle. The sensation of being watched had been intensifying for some time, slowly at first, over the summer while he worked in the basement, when Kate insisted she'd seen Ghost Denny gliding down the hall. Then it began ramping up since Kyle and Megan's arrival. Since Kate's foray into the graveyard and subsequent return, the ethereal eyes made Denny feel like there were cameras on him, tracking his movements, or like a group of masked, shadowy surgeons were solemnly looking down on him through the glass of an observation room. Now, standing on the oil and paint-stained concrete floor of his carport, the carport he owned, Dennis Coleman felt like an intruder, like he was traipsing onto private property, and that he was about to get dealt with as an intruder would. 
He didn't want to go in, nor did he want to leave. For a moment, he thought of just dropping down where he stood, sitting cross-legged near the threshold, smoking one cigarette after another, and waiting for whatever that was going to happen, to happen, to come to him, rather than he step into the river of fate flowing just inside. Crazier still, Denny thought if he actually slid the key into the lock, it wouldn't work. Not that a locksmith had been out in the short time he'd been gone, but now that the house had gotten him out, with Kate safely contained within, it simply wasn't going to allow him re-entry. So, Denny planned. If the key didn't work, he'd break through a window. He'd seen enough haunted house movies to know that the glass might suddenly be unbreakable. But fuck that, Denny thought. He'd grab an axe from the laundry room and chop his way in if he had to. Full-on anti-Jack Torrance. Didn't matter. His wife, his dogs were in there. His whole life was within the steadfast brick facade of this damn house. He was going to get inside. And once inside, he'd grab what he could. The lockbox with their social security cards and birth certificates. Enough clothes for a few days on the road. Denny's mind actually went to which vinyl records were the rarest, and how many he could feasibly carry. But he shook it off. Old habits. But the first thing he was going after was the shotgun resting on top of the record shelf. But why? Whatever invisible force had pushed him out of the master bedroom before wasn't going to cow down to the audible of a slug being forced into the barrel, nor would firing that slug do any damage to an intangible entity. Patrick Westerberg or whoever wanted him gone, and Kate all to itself, and a firearm wasn't going to change that, but holding it would make Denny feel like he had some sort of control. The purpose of a gun is death. Everyone wants to clamor on about guns being for protection or defense, but really, the gun itself only knows, only wants, one outcome. The man holding the gun might think the purpose is protection, but the gun wants nothing more than to kill. Having his finger on that trigger, Denny thought, might give him the extra courage to go back into the master bedroom. If the dogs were still acting like bodyguards, they'd follow Denny out with Kate. Let them growl or bark. Let them bite him. But something told Denny that once they were all outside, things would begin to change. The hold, the influence might slide off like, well, a snake shedding its skin. If I can just get us into the jeep, Denny thought, each mile we put behind us will help break that spell. Or the curse. All he had to do was move forward, to try the lock and this plan would be underway. Yet still, Denny remained in place, muscles aching from anxiety, from the hangover and from fear. Come on, he thought. Do it. Go inside. Yet, even as his mind was making the demands, his body refused to cooperate. He needed a push, a starting pistol, to get the dominoes to begin falling. Then, it happened. Not from within himself, but the house. The sound of the deadbolt disengaging made Denny step backward, his body even more rigid than before, breath coming out in short, choppy bursts, the subtle wheeze from too many cigarettes being the only sound in his ears. Denny was terrified, 
of his own house. No, no, it was more than that. His own wife. Because who else would be opening their door? Deep inside, down in the depths of the survival-hungry sliver of his subconscious, Denny had no idea what to expect. But it wasn't this. As the door cracked, Denny was struck by the musk of earth, the scent of churned dirt, then by the cloying scent of perfume. Underneath a green sun visor was the rosy-cheeked face of his neighbor, Sharon. Soft pink lipstick framed smile and rows of white teeth beyond. Her hazel eyes, wide and unblinking, searched him, like the cautious gaze of a woman home alone, interacting with a stranger on her doorstep, like Denny posed a threat to her. Dennis, she said, her voice retaining the southern drawl, but none of the warmth he'd heard from her before. You're back so soon. The opening of this conversation, the reversal of pre-prescribed roles, was so off-putting, so uncanny, that Denny couldn't speak. He tried to respond, but what came out sounded more like a sigh than words. We didn't expect you just yet, Sharon said, the smile unfaltering. If ever. She made no attempt to step aside for Denny to enter, but did shift to allow her husband, Terry, to exit. The man held eye contact, his pupils fixed, dilated, tired, as he circled around to stand behind Denny. He could feel the man's presence there, not two feet away. By now, Denny should have stepped forward, pushed by Sharon, and went for the shotgun. But he was still frozen, his mind trying desperately to connect the moving parts of the situation. He'd expected a heaviness in the air, some sort of force pushing back against his re-entry into the house. Maybe objects levitating or thrown at him. Typical haunted house stuff. But not this. Not his nosy neighbor opening his door like a woman being interrupted during dinner, with her husband falling into what felt like an attack position behind him. And rather than advance on her, Denny just yelled, Kate, are you okay? Keep your voice down, Sharon said. She's sleeping. What are you? Denny said not finishing the sentence, but somehow that alone felt like more than enough. With a laugh, Sharon said, For a smart guy, I thought you'd have figured it out by now. But what can you expect from the modern man? More jumbled words, stuttering. Denny's mind was misfiring. He managed to say, Where, Where's Kate? Then he yelled into the house again, Kate! Kate is where she's meant to be, Dennis. Your concern is really rather sweet, but rest assured, she's in good hands now. Sharon paused, took a look behind her, somewhere deep inside the house, then said, with incredible finality, You've served your purpose. Amicably, I might add. Stuck around much, much longer than we expected. Terry thought it was a product of your character, but he's always looking for the good in his kind. Aren't you, Terry? Denny was able to crane his neck to look behind him. Terry was closer than he thought, within arm's reach, and he had his head downcast. He nodded softly in response to Sharon. Behind him, the rain showed no signs of slowing down. Personally, she went on, I think it was the booze. Always gives men an elevated sense of self-importance. A false courage. The liquid bravery needed to come home and beat their kids. 
force themselves on their meek wives. Not you, though. I think you stayed drunk enough to basically ignore most of what's been going on around you. Well, I'm not drunk now, Denny whispered. All the better to make the most important decision of your life. What's that? Well, we figured your friend might have taken care of this for us. Tucked your tail between your legs and sent you scurrying out of town. That really would have been the best for you. For all of us. In the future, we would have remembered you fondly for your contribution. And you might have been spared. But now, Sharon said, pausing. Wait, what are we doing just standing out here? Denny felt Terry's hand on his shoulder. It was shaking, but firm. Come on in, Sharon said. Denny couldn't believe this. His nosy-ass neighbor was acting like a lunatic, and now she was inviting him into his own home. Denny wanted to explode, to rip Terry's arm from his shoulder and possibly from the socket, then drag Sharon outside and toss them both into the pouring rain, stomp on that shitty little visor of hers. But he did nothing of the sort. There was some sort of control at work here. He allowed Terry's warm grip to lead him through the doorway and into the parlor. Denny glanced up at where the shotgun rested atop the shelf, slender barrel just visible, and gauged whether he could grab it and turn it on these intruders before being taken down himself. Had he left it loaded? After his nightmare, Denny wasn't sure he had. The sound of cocking the weapon might be enough, though. But before he could continue this line of planning, Terry's grip pushed him down into the same blue chair where he'd found Kate screaming about her experience in the basement. Kate! Denny yelled again, but was cut off when Terry's hand gripped his shoulder harder. The man let go and stood back, arms crossed over his chest. Please, Kate needs her rest for tonight. Sharon sat down in the matching chair with that fucking smile still slathered onto her face. The woman's expression was like that of a therapist. Faux concern. I can tell you have a million questions. So, where, where should we start? The choice I was just talking about, or would you like a little background first? I know this must be a lot for that little hungover mind of yours. Her condescending tone was enough to make Denny want to scream, but it felt as though doing so would be like screaming into the roar of a waterfall. Everything was happening so fast, and he'd just be wasting breath. So instead, he asked simply, Why are you in my house? With an exaggerated rolling of her eyes, she said, We've gone over this. But if you need training wheels, here goes. I'll be taking care of Kate until the time comes. But if you want to get really technical about this, I could ask you what you're doing in my house. Without taking his eyes off of her, Denny fumbled out his cigarettes, lit one. What are you talking about? Dennis Coleman, PhD. You're supposed to teach this stuff. Literature, critical thinking skills. Everyone thought it was a little too on the nose that you'd put it together, but I just had to. I wanted to test your mettle. What's my name? Sharon. Last name? Denny thought hard, wondering if she'd ever even told him, or, if she had, whether he'd bothered to commit it to memory. But he came up with nothing. See, you have no idea. Let's try another one. 
Who did you buy this house from? Patrick, Denny said, thinking about the student ID, with the mustache and wire-framed glasses. Patrick Westerberg. That's right, Sharon exclaimed. First points on the board. But did he own it alone? No, he had a wife. He didn't have a wife, Dennis, Sharon said, her chipper voice taking on a hostile edge. There's no need to be sexist. Men don't own their wives anymore, don't possess them. For all your liberal ranting and academic training, I'm surprised at your tendency to imply people can still own other people. That's not fun. Gosh, it's like listening to that low-key racist uncle who works in finance prattle on about his agonizingly middle-class hetero male troubles and his character-free marriage. Sharon giggled, seemingly proud of the eloquence of her own insult, then asked, So self-indulgent, isn't it, Terry? Sharon and Denny looked toward her husband, still standing next to him. Yes, ma'am, it is. Turning back to lock eyes with Denny, Sharon said, Except you don't work in finance, do you? No, you don't work anywhere. You're just a leech. The woman's features softened again, and the edge was gone from her voice. But we're getting off track. We were talking about home ownership. Who was the woman that lived here? Think hard, Denny boy. Her name was Rose, Denny whispered. Ding, 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 she said, and I'm Sharon. Do you get it now? Denny shot another glance up at the shotgun and felt the cherry of his cigarette getting closer to the flesh of his fingers. Rose of Sharon, the woman roared. Come on, lit professor. I was so hoping you'd get that reference. Again, must be the booze. He's all grapes and no wrath. Right, Terry? Yes, ma'am, Terry said again. So there was no rose? Denny asked, feeling about as small and confused as he had when he was a child. God damn it, Dennis, there's no Sharon. Hearing this, Denny tried to think if he'd ever seen a picture of Rose Westerberg, had any sort of communication with the supposed widow they'd acquired the house from, outside of lawyers or the real estate agents, but there was nothing. Then again, he'd had no reason to look. Kate had been searching for Patrick Westerberg, and she hadn't found much in the way of photography there, either, besides the grainy thumbnail on the obituary page, which could have been a stock photo of anyone's grandfather, really. The only photographic evidence of their house's previous occupants was that student ID. Then something clicked. Turning to Terry, Denny said, So, you're Patrick? Now he's catching up, Sharon said. On paper, those are our names, and those two are a little homage to the woman who started all this. Then he felt like he'd just taken the leap, and everyone still on board the ferry were just waiting for him to start waving as he fell to the water. So, if Terry, um, Patrick, your, your husband, is still alive, who's been haunting us? Whose ghost is in this house? Ghost, Sharon said, scoffing. Again, you teach this stuff. Ghosts are a lot like you, Dennis. Lost. Rudderless. No gumption. And if I'm to be crass, no balls. So what is it, a demon? 
Then he asked, not bothering to even consider how easy it was for him to pivot in this line of questioning. Two years before, in grad school, or even further back, bartending on the West Coast, this sort of conversation would have been so outlandish, so ridiculous, that he would have ridiculed the storyteller mercilessly. But now, as much as he'd want to deny it, this was the new normal. Some may see her that way, and we let them. Because to many, she is a demon, and she will be. But to us, she's everything. The light, the dark, the bringer of pain, of horror and depravity. But most importantly, to us, salvation. You're saying that a god is living in my house, Denny asked, doing his best to extinguish his cigarette into an empty beer bottle with a shaking hand. Sharon shook her head. So many things are wrong with that question. First of all, I thought we established that this isn't your house. It's hers. Second, living? Her form is incapable of trivialities like life and death. She exists in this house, just as anywhere else. But, to your credit, yes, her presence here is stronger, because we have invited her in, acknowledged not only her power, but our worship of her. And lastly, we don't use the term God. It's too narrow, too masculine. Deity? Denny asked. And you keep saying she. There you go being sexist again, Dennis, assuming that a divine being is inherently male. Somehow, in the midst of the sheer chaos of Denny's consciousness, he found the ability to sound incredulous. Okay, and what is this supreme lady's name? As soon as the words left his mouth, the temperature of the room dropped, and Denny felt himself pushed back into the chair, unseen hands pressing onto his ribcage, forcing the air out of his lungs. He struggled to breathe. As you can see, it would behoove you not to blaspheme here, especially now, as her power grows. Denny choked out an apology and the pressure lessened, but he was still pinned to the chair. He could feel his heart thudding, blood pulsing through his limbs as if expecting the flow to stop at any time. In answer to your question, she's been known in every religion, Sharon said, throwing fingers and air quotes around religion. And she's called by some variation of the same name. She's even in your parents' Bible. We call her Lilith. Squirming in the chair, Denny managed to repeat the name. I know, I know, you've heard of her before. Everyone has now. Especially after that stupid vampire show on HBO. The whole world seems to have an idea of our goddess. But they don't know her the way we do. The way Kate will. You keep saying we. You and Terry or Patrick or whatever, Denny said. Not bothering to even look at the man. He wasn't going to say anything anyway. Sharon stood and laughed. She spread open the curtains and gazed outside. My husband serves his purpose, and Lilith will spare him. My sisters and I, we are her chosen ones. That shell of a man standing over you. He was a lot like you, Dennis. He worships her now because the alternative is sacrifice. His choice is the same as yours. Denny simply couldn't find words so he remained silent. They're here, Sharon said, her excitement uncaged. 
She looked at Terry. We must begin preparations. The man came over to Denny and lifted him out of the chair. They spent a brief moment looking into each other's eyes. The man had a look of a beaten pet, neglected and imprisoned in a soggy backyard cage. Who's here? Denny asked. My sisters, Sharon squealed. All our work, our planning tonight is the night. For what? Denny asked as Terry spun him around. He could feel rope being tied around his wrists. Outside, multiple cars had parked on the street, and the occupants were hustling through the rain, out of sight, toward the carport. Well, for Kate's baptism, of course. There was the sound of the door opening and footsteps entering the house. Terry kicked the back of Denny's legs so that he fell to his knees, as if he were about to pray or be executed. Soon, the room began to fill with faces Denny didn't recognize. Then, with his heart sinking, some that he did. First were Pamela and Aaron Green, or whatever their names really were. Their male companion, Alex, stood behind them like a captive. Then, Connie Smartly, the real estate agent that helped them secure this house. She was holding hands with a man he hadn't met, but Denny assumed it was her husband. Then he flashed back to seeing her in the closet, kneeling, worshipping, in the same position he was now, and he opened his mouth to ask her if she'd set the whole thing up, but he didn't get the chance. Something hard and heavy connected with the back of his skull, and the world went black. Chapter 22 of The Ghost Modernist was presented by Dr. Scarelove, with music provided by the incredible Atrium Carcheri. Please check out their music and others on the Cryo Chamber label. Links can be found in the show notes. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, at The Ghost Modernist, for more updates. And of course, if you've been enjoying the story, and you haven't had the chance yet, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, as this will help me scare more people. Now, for some love. Thanks to Oils on Canvas... I love your art. I love the dogs and the crowns. And I love that you're enjoying this show over there in the UK. Thanks for the view on Podcast Addict. Here's to you from across the pond. Next, big love to Delia G3. Thank you for your kind words, and I have to tell you, the real Roxy and Echo were stoked to hear that they were referred to by name on the interwebs. Who knows? Maybe I'll bring them on the show one day. Though, sometimes they aren't super talkative. Speaking of bringing on the show, my lovely lady suggested that we do a Q&A session, either before or after the last chapter. She's got some questions for me, even though she's living the life that I'm writing about, and she thinks some of you might have some questions as well. She'll be collecting any of these questions, along with shoutouts for those of you who write in. You can send these to drscarelove at gmail.com, or send a direct message on Instagram at theghostmodernist. I literally can't wait for this. It's going to be so much fun. And that's it for chapter 22. Remember, there are two types of people in the world. The haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?